Salutations, listeners. You are listening to the 100th episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. And I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it is our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that may ail you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, our special 100th episode, we are going to be placing a spotlight on one of my absolute favorite jazz artists. He's a legend, a god, a king, a master at his craft. Say what you will. We are going to be spotlighting Miles Davis. And Miles means so much to me in my journey through jazz. And I just really wanted to share 25 of my absolute favorite Miles Davis tracks. Now, some of them may be popular with you and other jazz critics, etc., you know, but um, these are just 25 that personally touched me. Some are going to be popular, some are not. And it's like, why didn't you include that? And it's because I love them all. But these are the 25 Miles Davis tracks that stood out to me. So, um, and touched me to my core. And I'll give some descriptions as we go through them. But I just want to give a, a, a sincere, heartfelt shout out to all of the listeners to the Dr. Jazz podcast. I've noticed that every single episode has had like a hundred listens or more. And for the fans of the jazz from the 1970s, the Zorn fans out there, the traditional jazz fans, every one of you, thank you, thank you, thank you so very much. So with that being said, let's kick off our 100th episode on the music of Miles Davis. Thank you. Thank you. 
56 Columbia Miles Davis and John Coltrane God you just just to hear Miles play around midnight is special enough but then that intro is just so poignant and it just it's like somebody just stuck you in the heart you know oh my god just I love Love, love that song. And uh, that's one of my absolute favorite versions of it. And God knows I love Thelonious Monk. But who wrote the song, by the way? But that version is like top three, you know, if not the favorite version of Round Midnight. And just, oh, it's, it's just gorgeous. And then the track we heard before that was Something I Dreamed Last Night. And it's not a very well-known track, but it comes from one of Miles's prestige albums. Um, of course, there was Cookin', Steamin', Workin', and Relaxin'. All four of those were recorded, I believe, within two days of each other. And it features the grand rhythm section of um, Red Garland on the piano with those blocked hand chords, you know. Um, those block chords that Miles loved to play over. Philly Joe Jones on the drums, and Mr. PC himself, Paul Chambers, laying down the bass, John Coltrane on the tenor saxophone, and Miles Davis on the trumpet. Um, that particular track, Something I Dreamed Last Night, comes off of Miles' steaming with the Miles Davis quintet. That quintet is kind of like a 101 class on the way a jazz combo should function. Everybody has their designated roles and they are conversing with themselves within the framework of each tune. And you can study it. It's like a textbook, you know. And the soloists are just phenomenal. There's nothing more to say. It's just classic. But that particular track was one of the first tracks that really clued me into the fact that Miles was saying something very special. And it doesn't have to be on a uh, a famous tune like Round Midnight. It's There was something that's like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. This guy's really saying something here with his horn. And, you know, Miles could just stop weathering time. <laughs> You know, by playing two notes a certain way on his trumpet, especially during this period in the 50s and with that Harmon mute in his horn, man. Just, oh my God. Brilliance. Brilliance. And then we started off that set with one of the tracks from the great album, 
70 years old last year. Birth of the Cool. We heard Boplicity. And a strange, um, well, before I get to that, you know, Birth of the Cool was one of those great albums that uh, folks tried to put in a box and say started the cool jazz movement. I don't know about that, but I definitely know that Miles was taking a different direction from the hell for leather speed of the tempos of traditional bebop music, in which he, he, he was a great contributor with Charlie Parker and that. But Birth of the Cool featured Lee Konitz on the alto sax, and that's the instrument I play is the alto sax. And just phenomenal work by Lee Konitz, who's still kicking, by the way. And um, it really featured Jerry Mulligan as well on the Barry sax, alongside Miles on the trumpet, and... Um, you had guys like John Lewis who was on piano and uh, I believe Max Roach was on the drums. I, I don't have it right in front of me right now. But uh, I know that Gil Evans contributed a lot to the arranging of these pieces as well and that was one of the first um, encounters that Miles had with Gil Evans and that would um, that would show very <laughs> those seeds and that relationship would prove very fruitful later on in Miles' career, especially at Columbia, which we'll get to in a minute. But what I wanted to say about Boplicity, the, tr- the track that started off this, this whole set, is that there was, um, when I was coming up and first starting to listen to Miles, there was a video, yes, a VHS video, so I know I'm taking you way back, um, of Miles and Quincy Jones, live at Montreux. And they would, the beginning part, previous to the concert that they showed, um, this is the concert where Miles actually looked back for the first time and probably, I want to say it was his last appearance at the Montreux Jazz Festival, in which he was actually replaying some of that music of Gil Evans because Miles loved Gil so much and his musicality. And they would interview all these musicians like George Duke and Randy Brecker and Gil Goldstein and Herbie Hancock and, you know, Benny Bailey, etc., right? And they would actually play little snippets of, you know, what the originals were. And I just remembered that, man, I just love the lilt and the lightness of Boplicity. It was so cool, man. So... I was like, man, you know, that that's a hip tune. And so I've since that point, I mean, that was almost 30 years ago, you know. Um since then I've just loved Boplicity, you know, and Round Midnight and something I dreamed last night and there's more to come. So um yeah, we are featuring the music of the great Miles Dewey Davis III on this special 100th episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Remember, you can find all of the episodes of the Dr. Jazz Podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. 
Well, you can also check out our website, which is Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast, dot WordPress, dot com. So, and you know what? I would love to hear feedback from you. So feel free to shoot me an email. Feel free to shoot me a tweet. We're also at Twitter, at N-D-H-Jazz. So shoot me some feedback of some of your favorite Miles Davis tracks, albums, memories, whatever you'd like to share about your personal experience with the music of Miles Davis. Let's get to some more, mu- some more music. Here's some Miles Davis with Gil Evans.
Miles Davis, Gil Evans, and his orchestra. The Concerto de Ranwes by Rodrigo from the album Sketches of Spain. That is one of my all-time favorite Miles Davis albums. I think anybody that loves jazz just has to love the bounty of colors you hear just in those three albums that we just heard. Sketches of Spain, Porgy and Bess, and Miles Ahead. The collaborations, the three major collaborations between Miles Davis and Gil Evans. Oh my God, just the colors that Gil creates. And then Miles is just like this beam, this laser beam on top, you know. And Gil talks about this in many interviews, by the way. Um, Gil talks about sound innovators on the trumpet. He said there's only two. He said there's Louis Armstrong and there's Miles Davis. You know, he said, now you can have, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said you can have like a higher style of playing, you know, like Dizzy Gillespie, right? And Dizzy came from the school of Roy Eldridge, who came out of the school of Louis Armstrong. So everything ties back to Louis Armstrong until you hear Miles Davis, and then there's such a dark tone in his trumpet. It's There's no vibrato. There's no um, bright sound. There's no uh, laser sound. Like, for instance, when you hear, like, Maynard Ferguson, that guy has a laser tone, but it's more, much more of a bright tone and timbre to his trumpet sound. Miles has this very dark tone. He's, it's kind of like blackout curtains. You know, <laughs> it just absorbs all uh, of the, the, the brightness. So when you have something like Gil Evans, who is creating these master, master color schemes within the the voicings of his orchestra between flutes and oboes and French horns, etc. To have somebody like Miles with that very, very dark tone on top, it's a perfect foil. <clears throat> and in fact, that's one of the reasons Miles even said that he worked so well with Coltrane. He goes, Coltrane's a fire. And there's no doubt, there's no debating that. Coltrane is full of fire. But Miles is the ice to the fire. So, Miles knew what he was doing. He was the ultimate human catalyst when it came, when it came to creating things and getting the most out of people within the jazz idiom. Duke Ellington was another great example of a great human catalyst who was also one of the great inspirations to Miles. So... There you go. But anyway, I had a real tough time selecting um, tracks from these three albums that were collaborations between Miles and Gil Evans because I truly, truly love every single track from Sketches of Spain, Porgy and Bess, and Miles Ahead. But I settled on... The Concerto de Uranwes, because uh, that was the very first track from Sketches of Spain, and the one 
that grabbed me. It's by far the longest. I think it's like 16 minutes or something like that. So I apologize for the long track, but there's so many colors and that melody just sticks with you. It just sticks with you. And then I found out later that that was the intro to Spain by Chick Corea. And then, man, that was it. You know, I'm like, man, this just keeps circling back in my life. So, um, yeah, but more on that later. And then the track that we heard before that, it wasn't Summertime from Porgy and Bess, you know, that most people would have picked. Uh, it wasn't There's a Boat That's Leaving Soon for New York. It wasn't uh, Bess You Is My Woman Now or It Ain't Necessarily So. It wasn't any of that. Those tracks that are generally associated with Porgy and Bess. It was Prayer, Oh Dr. Jesus. And there's just something like, I don't know. I just get this visual image of like Miles on a pulpit. And... You know, it, it's very much like a call and answer thing, and just the way he he just phrases that whole thing is I don't know. It it, it traces to for me at least it traces all the way back to like Congo Square. You know, it, it's got that very primal tribal element to it, even though it's very modern and sophisticated with the voicings that Gill is using and the the things that Miles is doing with his own tone and timbre and articulation with the thing. But it's, it. I don't know, it's just a perfect marriage uh, of sounds to me. So the second track that we heard was Prayer, O Dr. Jesus, from Porgy and Bess. And then we opened up the set with Blues for Pablo from Miles Ahead with Miles and Gil Evans. Um, yeah, there's New Roomba that I could have picked, My Ship, you know, that's a great standard on that album. Um, I don't want to be kissed. Uh, miles ahead, the, the the title track, the Maids of Cadiz, Springsville. There's tons of tracks that I could have uh, have chosen, but this one is for the artist Pablo Picasso. And a lot of folks, uh, critics and listeners and fans alike, say that Miles is like the Picasso of jazz. He's playing things from all angles at once, just like Picasso put on or put through his art the the idea of seeing things from all angles at once. And it is by far one of the most haunting melodies within the whole Miles Davis canon. And I just, I don't know, my mother was an art major, my brother was an art major, so I, I have a lot of art friends. Shout out to Steph. <clears throat> but, um, I don't know, I just love art. You know, uh, Maybe it's because I grew up around it, but um, I'm into sound art, you know. <laughs> but um, Miles really has a harrowing melody in Blues for Pablo, and that is by far the the one that really hit me to my core in my soul from miles ahead. So uh, that's my only explanation. I just I, I love it. So and that's what we're doing. Twenty five tracks here. Uh, spotlighting the music of Miles Davis. So <clears throat> don't forget to share uh, our podcast with your friends. We are on iTunes Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, SoundCloud, and on Stitcher. So please share accordingly. We're also on Twitter 
you can find us at the handle at NDH Jazz. Would love to hear from you. Uh, and our website, Dr. Jazz Podcast, D R J A Z Podcast.wordpress.com. Let's get to some more music of Miles Davis. <laughs> Thank you. 
God, that is beauty personified. And I'm not talking about like somebody who's made up or dolled up. I'm talking about beauty no one could deny. That's what blue and green is. Oh my God, this sheer genius and beauty at the hands of Gil, um, not Gil Evans, I'm sorry, Bill Evans on the piano, Miles Davis on the trumpet, John Coltrane on the tenor saxophone. Oh, God. And it's all from Kind of Blue. In fact, the track before it is also from the album Kind of Blue, uh, and we heard So What, written by Miles Davis. Um, This is probably the... I'm pretty sure I can say this safely, that it's still the greatest selling jazz album of all time. And we just celebrated its 60th anniversary last year because it came out in 1959. Features many, many legends of jazz. Miles Davis on the trumpet, John Coltrane on the tenor saxophone, Julian Cannonball Adderley on the alto saxophone, Paul Chambers on the bass, Jimmy Cobb, who is still kicking, by the way, on the drums, and the great Bill Evans on the piano. In fact, not many people realize this, but if you actually look at it, Kind of Blue was the only album that Miles did that was basically based in the type of playing that Bill Evans was performing at that time. So that album is truly a, kind of a hybrid conception of what Bill was doing and what Miles was gearing towards with these small fragmented melodies over more of a modal structure, you know. More possibilities with less. Less is more sort of thing, you know. And what can you say about Kind of Blue that hasn't already been said? I mean, (laughs) we are talking about an album that... Okay, let's put it this way. You know how, you know, you have friends or sons or daughters or parents or grandparents that have that album, that one particular album that they just love. They can sing every word of every verse, etc., right? For every song on the album. Kind of Blue is like that with jazz listeners. You can sing or hum along with every solo, regardless of instrument, all the melodies. You can point in the air exactly when Miles comes in after the piano intro to kind of or to blue and green. You know the exact order on the five tracks on the album. And you can even like you know play the air drum parts of Jimmy Cobb before you smash that cymbal right to the beginning of Miles's solo on so what. Kind of Blue is that album for many jazz listeners. We can tell you all the parts. Or we've transcribed all the parts. Or we've studied that album. Or we've listened to it easily a thousand times from beginning to end. 
That's the magic of kind of blue. And it'll never go away. For as long as there's a human civilization listening to music and digging on jazz sounds, kind of blue will be it. I mean, it's the alpha and the omega of just jazz mastery. So. Ah. Eh, anyway, enough about kind of blue. We, we've, we know kind of blue quite well. Um, before that, we started off the whole set with Milestones from his Columbia album, Milestones, which actually features Cannonball Adderley on alto, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Miles Davis on the trumpet, but it features um, Wynton Kelly on the piano, who is actually the piano player. I have to, I have to give Wynton, his, Wynton Kelly his due. He is actually the piano player on one of the tracks on kind of blue. He is the piano player on the track Freddie Freeloader, track two on kind of blue. The rest is Bill Evans. So, <clears throat> yeah, um, I, I just, I absolutely love kind of blue, and I'm sure you do too. And those are two very, very popular, famous tunes. Um, but man, just everything about that album just stuck with me like glue. So uh, I'm very happy and glad to share that with you. Okay, coming up, um, some more things and from Miles, and then Miles takes a turn. Keep listening. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Thank you. 
Oh boy. <clears throat> All right. So that was Miles Davis from the 1964 My Funny Valentine concert plus four and more. I bought the double CD version before it was split up into two separate things. So uh, there's a lot of information in that three track set. Um, so that was from the 1964, like I said, concert. Um, Miles Davis on the trumpet, Herbie Hancock on the piano, Tony Williams on the drums, Ron Carter on the bass, and George Coleman on the tenor saxophone. He almost had his new quintet locked in place by that point, but not yet. Not quite there yet. Four of the five pieces were were correct. Um, but nonetheless, that is one of my absolute favorite tracks because it is the most abstract version of My Funny Valentine that I've ever heard. And in fact, that would be a foreshadowing of things to come from Miles Davis and his second great quintet. But we'll talk about that later. The fact that the melody is very abstract, the fact that it, these little half-valve techniques that Miles was using, even though they were very nuanced, they deliver so much emotion from him to the listener. And I just remember literally being just frozen in place for like these... 12 or 14 minutes or whatever it was during My Funny Valentine during the very first time I ever heard that. I remember uh, I was on vacation with my family in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, I always, always being the jazzophile that I was, uh, begged, begged, hey, if I saw a CD store, hey, can we go check out and see what jazz they got? Hey, See, let's see if they got any records. Hey, let's see if they got any CDs, any, any, any used things in the bargain bins, you know. And I found the 1964 My Funny Valentine concert four and more. And I said, oh, this is a double disc. This is, you know, must be uh, some really interesting stuff because, you know, it smiles with this guy George Coleman. And I hadn't heard any of this stuff before. Oh, my God. Shook me to my core. Imagine never hearing any of that kind of stuff before, and then the very first track you hear is My Funny Valentine, which you're like, oh, I know My Funny Valentine. Yeah, I know that tune very well. And then you hear it like that. So I was motionless for like 14 minutes, just not being able to move, just at the, the, the sheer abstractness of it and, 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 and looseness uh, of the melody and the phrases and everything, and then the the style changes that Tony was doing with Ron and Herbie, and I'm like, oh my god, what is that? It's like somebody just told you to swallow an exploding bullet, you know. So that was a it it it, it provided me with a different kind of love for Miles and his music, and a different kind of respect too. Um, but yeah just showing me all the different things that are possible within these great American songbook of standards, so to speak, um, which 
you know, made me really appreciate all the plug nickel stuff, you know, that the, that quintet did with Wayne. But we're not there yet. Before that, we did hear a track from Hit Miles Davis's 1961 Someday My Prince Will Come album. And we could have chosen that, the, the, the title track. We could have chosen um, I Thought About You, you know, Fran, Fran Dance for his wife, Frances. T.O., you know, such a cool groove with T.O. I think Brent from Marsalis recently covered that on one of his recent albums. Huh. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, but no, the reason I chose Old Folks, which I think is the second track on the album, is because I can pinpoint that track as being the very first time Miles with his Harmon mute about 22 seconds into the track he just plays an A on the staff, on the trumpet. He plays an A. He doesn't have to articulate it, and it's like a whisper. And I can pinpoint to that very note of that very track. That's the very first time I heard Miles Davis with his Harmon mute. And that is where I fell in love with Miles Davis's sound. Not, not many people can pinpoint it, but I just know that moment, that moment sticks out in my life just as much as my very first kiss and all those other things that go along with life. But that moment, 22 seconds into old folks on an A on staff, Miles Davis playing with a Harmon mute. That's when I loved Miles Davis's music and his sound right there. I was smitten and I have been for easily the last 25 years, 30 years. And it hadn't changed. So, there you have it. And then we opened up um, the set with jean which is one of my absolute favorite tracks. Um, it comes from the soundtrack that Miles did from the Louis Malet film Ascension pour le Chiffaux, which is translated as Elevator to the Gallows or Lift to the Scaffold. And um, he did it in real time with Parisian musicians. And I remember I was in high school when I got this album for the Christmas holidays. And right after that, we had to go, and I was, like I said, I was in band, and we traveled out to Phoenix, Arizona, from North Alabama, and we were playing at the Fiesta Bowl in, like, 95, 96, somewhere around there, and I just remember that the the chaperones were like, (laughs) you know, they were like drill sergeants, you know, if they saw a light underneath your door didn't matter if you were staying with like two other dudes or not right they're just like lights out lights out and i just remember you know like them getting on to me because i love listening to music late at night and i just gotten this album and i was just listening to this over and over again specifically this track genre and so basically i i can remember sitting in a, a hotel room in phoenix arizona with my little disc man and my miles davis you know, uh, album in French, 
you know, to this French movie and just sitting in the dark with these headphones on. But my two roommates were dead asleep and just listening over and over and over and over and over again to Jean-Arique. And I was just like, man. And it's like, it was this weird feeling. It's like you listen to that opening trumpet and you get goosebumps and then they would kind of subside by the end of the track. And then it's like you'd hit repeat and you just get these goosebumps all over again. And it's just like, I don't know. It was this weird back and forth. It's like you could give your yourself goosebumps just by repeating that track. And it was the weirdest feeling. So that's why I love that track. Jean-Arique from Essentiel Paul Le Chiffaut. Mm, such a such an awesome track. And then they made that uh, into a commercial. You know, they used that track for a commercial about a couple of years ago for either a perfume or a car or something like that. But I was just like, hey, that's Miles. <laughs> you know? So, all right, enough speaking. Let's let's turn the corner with the great qu- second quintet from Miles Davis with all the pieces locked in. Miles Davis on the trumpet. Tony Williams on the drums, Ron Carter on the bass, Herbie Hancock on the piano, and the great Wayne Shorter on the tenor saxophone. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
Madness by the great second Miles Davis Quintet from their album Nefertiti. I love that track and I love that album by far more than any other second great quintet album. But that particular track I love because it's like Herbie is playing Stravinsky kind of sounds within the the, the 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 piano part to that whole rhythm section. You know, it's just like that that cra- that crash, that clash, that crunch within the piano. And Herbie also did this on. Uh, Survival of the Fittest, I believe, on the Maiden Voyage album that he did for Blue Note. But this one has that sound of Miles and, and Wayne on top of it, and, and Tony just killing it on the beat. And then you have the walk and bass with Ron. And just, man, yeah, I just love that track. It's called Madness. And it's just kind of everywhere, so it's a fitting title. Uh, before that, we heard a... Tony Williams composition called Pee Wee and it was from the album The Sorcerer uh, which features all the cast of characters again and that Wayne Shorter is, is just he was the perfect fit for that group there is nothing better than the way that Wayne fit his sound. It's different than Coltrane. But there was something magical about that blend of Miles and Wayne together. And that is a great segue into this next track that we are going to listen to. It's a bit lengthy, so heads up. But, you know, we are spotlighting the music of Miles Davis on the special 100th episode of the Dr. Jazz podcast. So stay tuned. You know, I know many of you are kind of locked in right now. So just sit back, grab you a drink, push pause, come back if you need to. Um, This next one's quite a chunk of time, but it's a very cool track. And you want to talk about searing blend, just beauty and, and all the emotions mixed into one. This is one of my all-time favorite tracks, but it it's a doozy. So I'm giving you a fair warning. If you need to press pause, now's the time. No pun intended. But here is Circle in the Round by Miles Davis.
All right. Circle in the round. Recorded December 4th, 1967. And of course, it featured Miles Davis on the trumpet, Wayne Shorter on the tenor saxophone, Tony Williams killing some drums in that track. Ron Carter is on the bass. Herbie Hancock is actually on Celeste, the uh, Celeste. Miles Davis, by the way, was also on Chimes and on the Bells in the background of that. Um, but the electric guitar player was none other than Joe Beck. And um, I'm going to read you a little bit from the liner notes because I just love this. Uh, and it comes from the album Circle in the Round. It says, The jewel of this collection, Circle in the Round, links three luminous spheres in the galaxy of Miles Davis. Sketches of Spain, Nefertiti, and In a Silent Way. Miles' melancholic, keening, chromatic theme, the mesmeric drone and trill of Joe Beck's gimbri-like guitar and the skipping 12-8 cadence recall Miles' Spanish period. The bleak, slightly dissonant 26-bar line, Tony Williams' slashing and surging triplets and rolls, Listen also to his eerie rattlings on the drum shells and the crescendos and decrescendos throughout are the so-called repetition idiom forged by the second great Miles Davis quintet in the late 60s. Finally, the spacey Mysterioso horn solos and the twinkling vibes-like timbres of Herbie Hancock's celeste point toward 1969's In a Silent Way and Beyond. Yet for all its familiar sonorities, save for the guitars, Circle in the Round is not quite like anything else recorded by Miles before or since. A miraculous performance. Couldn't agree more. That is one of the most eerie tunes in the Miles Davis canon, and it is by far one of my favorites. There is something very haunting about that track. And these weird timbre blends between Miles and Wayne. After listening to that track, it helped me really appreciate even more some of the blends that Miles and Wayne had within the 60s. So, with that being said, let's get on to the next period Directions in Music by Miles Davis. You're listening to the Dutch Jazz Podcast. Stay tuned.
was the name of that track and it comes from Miles Davis's 1970 album Live Evil and throughout this whole set that you just heard is it's a who's who within the jazz world so the musicians on this album are Miles Davis on the trumpet Keith Jarrett on keys Joe Zavinul on electric piano and organ Herbie Hancock on electric piano Chick Corea on electric piano, John McLaughlin on the guitar, Hermeto Pascual, the great Brazilian artist, is on vocals, and he actually wrote that track, Nim Um Talvez, that we just heard. Steve Grossman on saxophone, Dave Holland on bass, Ayrto Moreira on the percussion, and Jack DeJanet on drums. Oh my God, what a who's who. And, you know, before we move on from that track, let me just say that that track always reminded me of these 70s grainy films that you see and I just pictured like this weird house like on a hillside or something and it just I don't know it just invokes this weird image in my head every time I hear that track and I, I love that track and I, I love all of these tracks on Live Evil um, Conrad Roberts at the end of In Amarada and you know with the narration thing Funky Tonk, um, What I Say, that bass line and with the drums, the bass and drum. Little Church, man, all these tunes I just love. But Nemum Talvez is just, it, it evokes a weird image in my head, you know, so I don't know what it is. Um, and then before that, we heard uh, Spanish Key which is on disc two of Miles Davis' landmark fusion album, Bitches Brew. And, um, yeah, that is definitely something very interesting. Bitches Brew, um, 1969. And, God bless the, 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 it's it, it only it's only rival in the one of the best selling albums of jazz all time is kind of blue, which is another Miles Davis album that we talked about earlier. Um, but Spanish, I mean, we're only talking there's six tracks over you know two records or two CDs, you know what I mean? And it's just it's game changing, it's groundbreaking. Even to this day, it just sounds different. You know, it's it's still challenges listeners and the personnel on it 
again, it's like a who's who, man. It's, oh my God, Miles Davis on the trumpet, Wayne Shorter on the soprano sax, Lenny White on drums, who would later play drums for Chikoria and Return to Forever. Uh, Benny Maupin is on the bass clarinet, who would go on later to play with Herbie Hancock and the Headhunters. Uh, Chick Corea is on the electric piano. Jim Riley's on percussion. Jack DeJanet on the drums. Harvey Brooks is on the Fender bass. Charles Elias, better known as Don Elias, is on the drums. Dave Holland on the bass. John McLaughlin on the guitar. Joe Zavinul on electric piano. Larry Young on the electric piano, who was the organist for Lifetime with Tony Williams and... John McLaughlin. So there you go. I mean, just killer, killer setup there. I mean, and Spanish Key is just one of those that just kind of skip along. That's the reason I love Spanish Key. It's like do 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 And man, that's just I don't know. That one really hit me. You know what I mean? I mean, they all hit me. I mean, Pharaoh's Dance has got this weird vibe to it. Bitches Brew is kind of like a horror soundtrack. You know, Miles Runs the Voodoo Down has got the whole half-step, you know, half-valve thing going on. Sanctuary is just Miles and Wayne blasting, you know, this force of sound, you know, on your ears. Just all of them are great, but Spanish Key, I just love that, that skip step to it, you know. And then we opened up the track with In a Silent Way. Uh, just the that track, In a Silent Way, which is taken from the complete In a Silent Way sessions, a great 3D, 3-CD set. Um, it is 3-D music. Um, it's a great 3-CD set, um, but it's another who's who. It's Miles Davis on the trumpet, Herbie Hancock on electric piano, Chick Corea on electric piano, Wayne Shorter on the tenor sax, Dave Holland on the bass, Joe Zavinul on electric piano and organ, and he wrote that track in a silent way, by the way. Um, John McLaughlin on the guitar, Tony Williams on the drums, and here's the thing you got to remember. All of these folks offshooted, like spin off in, in, into their own great fusion bands within their own right. Herbie Hancock went and started the Headhunters, and, and did Chameleon and Butterfly and Actual Proof and all these great songs. Chick Corea went on to start Return to Forever, which had hits like Spain and 500 Miles High and, you know, albums like Romantic Warrior and tons of great things. Wayne Shorter went with Joe Zavinul and started Weather Report, Birdland, you know, tracks like that, Black Market, and then they started, and then they had Peter Erskine and Jocko in the band all at one time, and that was killer. Dave Holland, he's still a force in music, you know what I mean? He's still finding talent like Chris Potter, you know what I mean, within his groups, and oh my God. I mean, he played with Steve Coleman, so it, it continues on. John McLaughlin, Started the Mahavishnu Orchestra with Billy Cobham and Jan Hammer. Then Tony Williams had Lifetime, which originally had Larry Young and John McLaughlin, and then it eventually branched out and included like cats like Alan Holdsworth. So, yeah, there's a lot to be said just in that lineup. So, mm, mm, mm. 
Viva Miles. All right. Um, here's another shot of Miles from the 70s. It's so good. I just, I, I'm, I'm just going to wait. I'll let you hear for yourself. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Spotlight on Miles Davis. <laughs>
Honky Tonk from Miles Davis's 1974 album Get Up With It. That was actually originally recorded in May of 1970. Features Miles Davis on the trumpet, Keith Jarrett on the keyboards, Ayrton Moreira on the percussion, Steve Grossman on the soprano sax, Billy Cobham on the drums, Michael Henderson on the Fender bass, John McLaughlin on the guitar, and Herbie Hancock on the keyboards. So there you go. And I just, I love that track because it's got that funky wah-wah intro. You know what I mean? It's just, it's awesome. Before that, we heard Minnie, no doubt a nod to Minnie Ripperton from the complete On the Corner Sessions by Miles Davis, the box set. Super hard to find, but I was lucky enough to score one a couple years ago off of eBay, and it about drained my bank account when I got it, but I can't help it. I love Miles, and On the Corner is just one of those landmark albums. I mean, people keep coming back to this album, and they sample the shit out of it. It's just awesome. I love On the Corner. And we heard many from that. There's a whole lot of tracks on that box set, by the way, that never made it to the album On the Corner, which came out in 1972. Um, and then we started off the set with Black Satin. That is my favorite track on that album. Oh, my God. It's just, it's like world music and funk and jazz and everything mixed together. And that featured Miles Davis on the trumpet, Bottle Roy on the tablas, Colin Walcott on the sitar. Yes, that Colin Walcott, the same one from the group Oregon with Ralph Towner and McCandless and all those cats. Um, he is playing the sitar part. Michael Henderson is on the Fender bass. James Matumi is on the percussion. Herbie Hancock, is, again, is on the keyboards. Harold Williams Jr. is on the keyboards as well. David Creamer on guitar. William Hart. I guess that would be Billy Hart. <laughs> yeah, Billy Hart on the drums, Jack DeJanette on the drums, and the great Carlos Garnett on the tenor saxophone. Black Satin. Yeah, I recorded June 6th, 1972. Man. So after this period, um, Miles kind of went into this weird Howard Hughes like retirement phase you know, and for about six years. And he was just out of the public, you know, out of the public eye. He wasn't recording anything. Um, he was kind of locked in his apartment. He was doing a lot of drugs. He had a lot of call girls over. He was, you know, drinking heavily. He and a lot of folks, bandmates, you know, music critics, fans were really afraid that he was just going to die in solitude. And, being, you know, a recluse, you know, it's kind of like Sunset Boulevard, but the jazz version, you know, and here's this great artist who's, who's made so many contributions to the world of jazz, and here he was, he was doing nothing, and he was slowly killing himself, and all these vices were, you know, just draining him. Um, then... Luckily, Cicely Tyson came back into his life and said, you need to straighten your shit up, get back together, 
you know what I mean, and start listening to music, start playing music. I mean, he stopped playing his trumpet altogether. And finally, he started working up his chops back, started making some calls, and he got together with um, the young tenor saxophone player Bill Evans, not to be confused with the piano player Bill Evans, in like 1981. And he, I remember Bill Evans talking about this, that he called him up on the phone going, Hey man, can you play as good as Charlie Parker and John Coltrane, Cannonball Adderley, Wayne Shorter, you know? <laughs> and Bill Evans talks about how he was just like a young kid in college and you know, his hand was literally trembling on the phone. And he said, I don't know about all that, Miles, but I'm, I can just do the best I can do. <laughs> so there you have it. And um, he got together with him at Dave Liebman's, you know, um, recommendation. And he got up a new band together. And he was slowly getting back to it but he got back to it and he came out with this album in 1981 called Man with a Horn and there's some slick spots etc you know because it was 1981 but there is this one track that I just love and it just makes me think of sunshine summertime resurgence like you know resurrection if you will and it's just like pure life into what was this has-been figure of Miles Davis, and it was like he came back. He came back from being musically dead. So here's Miles' second act, so to speak, you know. And this track is called Shout. Enjoy.
Cokolwiek nie powiesz, będzie użyte przeciwko tobie, więc lepiej się cicho. Yo vine de Miami, y este es parte de mi religión, y no me diga que me calle. Tu as le droit de tenir le silence, rien que tu dis va se dire contre toi, alors tais-toi. Et tu vois, ça me dit. So we just heard one phone call, Street Scenes, from Miles Davis's 
1985 album, You're Under Arrest. And the front cover has Miles in like a black jacket and a black fedora with like a Tommy gun. And it just reads, you're under arrest. You have the right to make one phone call or remain silent, so you better shut up. (laughs) In typical Miles Davis fashion. Um, It features Miles on trumpet and on the police voices. Bob Berg, the great saxophone, saxophone player, is on soprano sax. Al Foster is on the drums. Robert Robert Irving III is on synthesizers. Daryl Jones is on bass. The great John Schofield is on guitar. Steve Thornton is on percussion. Sting, yeah, that Sting, is the French policeman's voice. Um, Yeah, and I mean, it's just... Man, just the craziest thing, you know. Here's this guy who was pretty much done for. People thought he was just going to die in you know, seclusion in his apartment in New York. And he's finding talent just like it never stopped. With like John Schofield. And he also covers on this album um, Scritti Politti. With uh, Miss Morrison and Cindy Lauper with Time After Time. And the thing to note here also is uh, the melody you hear on one phone call. Was actually originally taken from a John McLaughlin riff from the Jack Johnson album. You don't believe me. I know those are only two tracks and they're very lengthy. They're like 20-something minutes each. But if you don't believe me, go back and listen. So there you go. Um, and then he re-recycled that into you know some of the, the best free bop funk stuff for his 80s groups. And then we start off the set with uh, Shout from his 1981 album The Man With The Horn. And there's so many great artists on this. Al Foster's on this album. Bill Evans plays on this album. Marcus Miller is on the Fender bass. Uh, Robert Irving III again on keys. Vince Wilburn, family member of Miles, on the drums. Uh, Sammy Figueroa is on percussion, specifically on shout. Uh, Vince Wilburn's on drums. Felton Cruz on the bass. Uh, Randy Hall is on synthesizers. Barry Finnery, Finnerty is on the guitar. Yeah, Mike Stern even appears on a track or two on this album. So, yeah, there you go. Now, I also want to point out that after this, you're going to hear two selections to wrap this thing up. Uh, but everything you've heard previous is Miles on... Columbia Records, except for, I believe, um, Boplicity, which is from Birth of the Cool, which is on Capitol. And then you heard Something I Dreamed Last Night, which is on um, the Prestige label. But Miles had a, a decades-long career with Columbia Records, and I think that the reason he left Columbia to go to Warner Brothers at the end of his career was because of Wynton Marsalis. And Wynton was known as the young messiah who was going to bring jazz back into prominence. And 
Miles felt very slighted for all the great art that he gave um, on Columbia Records. So uh, I believe, according to Miles' autobiography, which if you haven't read yet, you should totally read Miles and Quincy Troop's um, take on his his life. (laughs) And um, what it is is uh, I think it was like Winton's birthday and they're like, they said something like, oh, you know, it'd be great if you would like send him flowers or, so, you know, something like that. And Miles was just like, you know, fuck no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> in typical Miles Davis fashion. So he basically said, you know, I'm taking my talents elsewhere and I'm going to um, Warner Brothers. And so these next tracks, these next two tracks to end off this spotlight on Miles Davis were performed for Warner Brothers. So there you have it. And I'm going to let Miles take us out. So thank you for listening. Love you guys madly. Uh, Special 100th show. Thank you so much. Please share with your friends the Dr. Jazz Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. We're also on Twitter with the handle at NDHJazz. Love feedback. Also check out our website. Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.wordpress.com. So, until next time, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, y'all be good now, because in Miles, we trust.
unless you want to walk around and look important.